Virtual Manager presents the How Did We Get Here podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the How Did We Get Here podcast. This week, Chairman Anil Patel, CIO Neil Fillingham, CEO Tony Morocco and I are talking about the working culture at Virtual Manager. In 2019, the three of them enlisted the help of Sam Cohen, who throughout his career had helped sports clubs and businesses in developing strategies for high-performing people and teams. Virtual Manager, along with Sam, wanted to create a set of core company values for the management, staff and clients. And Sam is our guest this episode. We knew that that was a challenge and that was what was creating the challenges in their culture in the first place. So it was a matter of getting together and, and talking about that and, and how best to, you know, to work that. And I think it was a really powerful maybe hour or so where it was just the four key guys giving each other feedback and talking about where, where they were at. Those communication pieces and how they differ between cultures and things were brought up and discussed and some common ground was found there as well. I'm Charles Dagnall and this is an informative and revealing edition of the How Did We Get Here podcast. Well, welcome along to the How Did We Get Here podcast, episode 13. I'm Charles Dagnall, along with me as ever, the chairman of Virtual Manager, Neil Patel, CIO Neil Fillingham and CEO Tony Morocco. We've made it to unlucky 13, gentlemen. It's been great fun so far. And this is an episode which I imagine, as so many have been, critical to the Virtual Manager story. We're going to be talking about culture this week and the workplace philosophy that has happened with Virtual Manager throughout the course of its history and really focusing on the recent history of the of the culture and perhaps the shift within Virtual Manager. Anil, uh, start us off, if you will. Great to see you. This was an episode you were keen to do. Talk us through how things started, obviously, right at the beginning with yourself and Neil and how the culture has manifested itself. It's something that we've covered a little bit in previous episodes. Yeah, great to be here, Daggers. Um, t- to take you back right to the outset, I think Neil and I touched on the fact that we saw a lot of, uh, I suppose, behaviours, values in corporate life that we didn't really agree with and certainly didn't align with. And the two of us were obviously close mates, but we both had very similar perspectives on life in terms of family and the way you treated people, the way you should treat employees, um, the kind of environment that we wanted to create you know, within an office uh, even though we're all remote. And, you know, all, all of that that ended up with, well, we really need to try and define this culture because you and I know what we want, but we're not entirely sure whether everybody else will buy into it. So I think when we started, some of those elements did transfer to some of the staff and what we did. I mean, certainly the activities that we did with clients and the way we interacted with them, I think, were, were fairly clear. But, you know, Neil and I are no culture experts or, you know, we don't have an HR background, as we've, we've said numerous times in our appalling hiring uh, expertise. <laughs> so it was very fortunate to have come across an individual who we'll speak to shortly um, through a, a connection at the Gold Coast Suns. And he was an expert in this field. We got on pretty well. He could see, I guess, Neil and myself, you know, our personalities and what we wanted to do. 
I thought let's try and formalize this as the company kind of grows up from two people to you know I guess close to 30 at that point where we, we really needed to to start to define that so that we could onboard individuals in that manner. Neil about that corporate environment that Anil was talking about was it toxic give us an example of some of the things that you came across that didn't align with with how you felt about business. Yeah, look, it's almost daily if it's not right. Just the way that people are treated, the way that they're, you know, that they talk to. Sometimes people are saying all the right things, but they're not actually living it. They're not actually doing it. You spend more time at work than you do with your family a lot of the time, you know, sort of thing. So you've got to be able to, you know, in my view, you want to be able to enjoy that being there. You want to be feel like you're aligned with what's going on in the company and the other people's values and that. It's, it's, you get to you don't get to pick your family, but you get to pick your friends. But you don't really get to a lot of the time to pick your work colleagues. So you want it to be the right environment uh, that aligns with how you're going to go about doing things. I think it, for for me, I found it really difficult when there was when there was a friction involved and a complete, totally different view to 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 something getting resolved. For me, it was kind of like mm. there's certain things that you don't compromise on. Yeah, it caused me a good deal of stress when those sort of things were in play. When, you, obviously, you guys were Australia-based, and then, Tony, I want to talk about the environment over in the US, and, and because I'm sure it is a slightly different business environment going from one continent to another. What were what were some of the uh, things that you found within within working in the US in, in the companies you were in prior to Virtual Manager? Yeah, I think Virtual Manager, you know, early on when I joined with Anil and Neil, we talked about alignment and, and we've talked about it in previous episodes that we personally aligned on. You do take a lot of your past experiences, the good and bad. And, and when you get in leadership positions, you want to make sure that you're bringing just the good. Um, you see a lot of cultures where people are leaving or they're leaving for the wrong reasons, right? Not just on performance. They're looking at the culture and moving on. So we had the ability, you know, here in the U.S. to build it the way we wanted it. And it was really instrumental with, with Sam, who's going to be joining us, who helped us to get to those particular core values and how I can lead from those. Was it something that you wanted to define, actually have a structure and written down a set of core values, even though that was something that you within yourself wanted to give off and project and have people within the company that had those same values? Did you feel it was important to actually get almost a Bible of those values written down? Yeah, I think all three of us, you know, we wanted to define those values and what they meant to the company, to us personally. And then also as we move forward, that's what we're going to lead from. And, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I see a lot of successful companies Later on, they do come back and look at that core foundation of the culture and how it's driven the organization to success. Just before we talk to to Sam, Anil, was there, did you feel there was a little, uh, any issues within Virtual Manager? We can be honest here. Was, was there something that made you, or a, a focal point that made you think, yeah, we need to get Sam in here. We need to get someone uh, to actually define these qualities that we're looking for. Yeah, I think there were two things. One was as we expanded globally, we did have a lot more, I guess, individual personalities and cultural differences to deal with that we never had at the beginning, you know, in terms of, you know, it was me, Neil and Tony and a few others. So it kind of, 
it, it worked. But as we expanded, that became more complicated. And I think one of the discussions we had with Sam was, you know, almost walking into an international cricket dressing room when you don't know why that guy's behaving in that way because he's South African <laughs> and another guy's Australian and, and I'm English and he's not listening to me. So Sam was able to ex- explain some of that context of why some of that might be happening. And the other part as well is that, you know, in a startup, we would, we were desperate to have staff and it was difficult to get the right talent. As we, we became more successful, we could attract other staff, but then you're left with some individuals that were certainly not aligned to our culture and who really weren't to be part of the bus. Uh, and one of the, you know, activities that we did was almost once we defined our own individual I guess requirements and what we saw as values and then we defined the company ones it was very clear to see who was aligned and who wasn't and people left of their own accord or we moved them on Um, but there was starting to become a little bit of an undercurrent with individuals that were not that shouldn't have been there and what got them you know got got us to a certain point was not going to get us to to the future and there's a term in tech around you know we had some brilliant people but they were you know brilliant jerks in some way and we you know we just didn't didn't want those individuals there and I think the initial days of you know Neil and my uh, you know original value proposition was no dickheads that wasn't going to last for the next 10 years so we had to define it was a little too simple there's there's something to be said for the simple approach to to these things it's interesting you say about looking around the cricket dressing room uh, people from a variety of different backgrounds and wondering one day I'll tell you the story of Verinda Saywag that is another story to be uh, to, to be told at another time but that was a great dude but a very interesting character from a completely uh, different background to where we'd all come from. Let's introduce Sam then. Sam Cohen, co-founder at Player Path, uh, development manager at RDK Sports International. He's helped the Gold Coast Suns, the AFL football team, uh, as player liaison manager. Also, Essendon Football Club, a true blue Aussie, I think you can say, uh, Queensland Reds Rugby Union as well. Sam, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on board. Uh, you know all about this thing, so for the next 25 minutes, just explain what you do. <laughs> Yeah, no worries. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Charles. I, uh, that wasn't a Tony Morocco introduction, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Just explain the Tony Morocco introduction, if you will. Oh, I've been listening to the uh, the prior podcast, mate, and he got a pretty big, uh, pretty big beat up he on the did. way in. So. He did. It was totally worth it as well. Yeah, and he'll tells me you've hit the top 100, so congratulations. I half expected to run through a banner when I got in. <laughs> <laughs> So you were brought to Virtual Manager in 2019, as as I understand it. What was the initial conversations that you had with? I'm assuming it was it was with Anil because you're both Gold Coast based. What was what was discussed? Yeah, it was 2019. I just finished up in sport at that time and and had made the decision to stay here on the Gold Coast. And the Gold Coast is a relatively small place, so there's not a lot of elite sporting teams. So. Um, made the decision to step away from sport and I was dealing with, sort of fell into dealing with a number of startups at that stage, stumbled across Anil, who were more a scale up by that point um, and didn't really need any support around, you know, what they were doing day to day business wise. But clearly there was, um, you know, some help needed around their people and their team and um, the challenges that come with, you know, the tyranny of distance and and dealing with different cultures as, as you guys have touched on just before. So that's how we first stumbled across each other. What did he ask you to do? I mean, I'm sure there was a conversation that ensued and you, you got talking in sort of a small talk manner and then actually worked out that you could help one another. 
Yeah, what, what drew me to O'Neill is that I, I'd walked past his office a number of times, actually, and seen a lot of sporting memorabilia and, you know, signed cricket bats, and I just saw that there was some synergy there and some common ground. So um, that's how we sort of first kicked it off, and then pretty soon after that, that, that turned into, you know, talking about his own team and, and, and what I could do to support that. Um, and I think the important thing before we get, you know, launch into the culture stuff is that these guys already had a really sound culture, probably just didn't have the ability to define what that was um, and, and didn't have a lot of structure around what behaviours, you know, constituted that culture. So, um, yeah, we had a lot of great discussions about where they were at uh, and the challenges that they, that they were having. And, and like I said, the biggest ones there were were probably the, that distance and the, and the culture differences and how do you manage and create a culture amongst a team that's spread out across the world. Your background, you know, I mentioned about the player liaison manager at the Gold Coast Suns Australian Rules football team. So you were the bridge between management and players as well. So how did you define that particular role? How does that then move from a sporting aspect to a business one? That's a good question. Um, I think by nature, um, business and sporting clubs are very similar, especially startups. And I think that probably comes back to the, you know, obviously they're high performance environments, but they're high pressure environments and, and, you know, you can win or lose based on, you know, single decisions. So I think there's a lot of synergy there between, you know, creating a really sound sporting team, but also creating a really, you know, solid business team and, and a culture is a key aspect of that. The only difference you know, I see between the, the role I did with, with this, this team and, you know, my previous roles in sport was that it was much easier to have all your players in the one room, you know, mm-hmm. talk about common goals and where you're going rather than trying to do things over Zoom, get to know people and understand, you know, what, you know, what drives them, you know, what is a strong culture to them. In, in a sporting aspect, and I've got a little bit of experience of this myself, you were the go-between for management and players. Yep. What if you could give us an example or some examples of perhaps the bridges that you perhaps built between players and the management, maybe what some issues were and how your role helped that and what you did to assist in that dynamic? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think the the biggest thing for my role and the, the biggest challenge was that you know, player welfare is a really hard thing to define. So, you know, what's best for the player sometimes isn't what's best for the team. But when you're working in a team, it has to be about the team. So, so making the, you know, individual players understand that, you know, their behaviours and their actions need to reflect that, you know, the culture of the, the greater good or the greater, the greater team is sometimes really difficult, especially when we're talking about performance and, you know, as you would know, Charles, getting games, getting selected, all those kind of things, you know, are, are so important to the player, but sometimes the team has to come first. I was sort of the, the man in the middle between you know, what the team needs and what the player needs and sort of bringing that together. And just before we bring everybody else back in, a lot of words can be spoken and they can be just that words and people sort of nod their head and go, yeah, yeah, not necessarily actually truly buy into a culture. How do you do that? Yeah, so that, that was probably the biggest problem that these guys had was that um, I think they did have some sort of values that they, you know, that they used. There was no, there was no actions around them and and when I actually first, so the first stage, I suppose, in this evolution was that I, I did a survey and then a one-on-one interview with it. it back, at that stage, they had 12 staff. So I interviewed each of those. And the, and the biggest thing to come through that was that no one 
in the team was really consistent on what those values were and what they meant. So that clearly meant that they there was no behaviours attached to that. You know, there was no accountability attached to that. Um, they were important, but they maybe hadn't been communicated to the team, and likewise, the team hadn't adopted those. You know, as a high performing team should. So that was the you know the defining moment, I guess, and where we realised that we need to attach some behaviours to this. So do you start? with a blank sheet of paper, go to the management and sort of say, right, what do you want them to, to be? Is there a template that you use? Yeah, I, I don't think there's a silver bullet to culture. And, and as I said before, th- these guys already had a really strong culture. So when I first interviewed and, and surveyed the staff, it, everything from, um, you know, happiness at work and trust in leadership and all these different things we spoke about, they were really, really high. The two that uh, I suppose that stood out the most, again, was the communication piece. And that wasn't necessarily poor communication. It was just the inability to understand that different cultures communicate in different ways. And, and, and it was really consistent around, you know, a couple of individuals amongst the team weren't probably communicating the way they should. Now, that should be an easy fix. Uh, but what you have to do is, is get people in a room and, and give each other feedback and actually talk about, you know, the, the differences there. The second part of that, there was no behaviours attached to any of what they put together prior. Tony, it's, I imagine, quite difficult to articulate when Sam's coming to you and saying, right, well, what are your values? And, and he'll quite rightly say, well, just don't be a dickhead uh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, work hard. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's actually difficult to try and translate that from an inwardly to outwardly. Yeah, I think it, it's a very hard process because these are going to be stamped uh, we're going to move forward with these values. We want to make sure every, we have everyone's buy-in from those. But Sam did a great job of bringing the team together to kind of work through those values collectively. We had, you know, many different people on Zoom calls. We were in a room together. We asked each other's questions. What was important to you? You know, the vision. But going back to what you were talking about building the culture, what I was able to do, and you saw some of the employees from the U.S. side, strategically find individuals that understood the same vision and where we wanted to go. And they came from industry. They saw that there was a need. So I was able to build that vision. But those core values of what they lived in every day, we were truly missing. So when you asked about how do you get people to buy into it, it was interesting here at VM where the vision was there. Everyone wanted to change a market the way we were doing it. And they felt that it was a necessity and value. And then it was just implementing this. But very difficult process. Sam's amazing at what he does. But he collectively brought us all together in a room. And we discussed what was important to uh, you know each of us. Neil, with having a relatively small staff and then obviously it expanding over time, but the different roles within virtual manager, they are quite disparate. You've got the developers, you've got the sales, you've got the, the, the management as well. And within a large, uh, a global company, but actually that doesn't have a huge amount of staff, you've actually got quite opposite ends of the spectrum to try and come together in, into one place. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's what makes the culture really important is that it kind of sits in and above anything, anything and anyone sort of thing. We apply that, the culture sort of rules get applied to Tony, myself and Anil in exactly the same ways as they do to other people. We, the culture holds us all accountable to what our ethics are, or how we operate. And we even apply it to clients. So if we have clients that come in and they're, and they're pushing, you know, the way outside of, their methods of dealing with you that you allow, then we eject the clients. So you do it politely and respectfully and everything, but we're not prepared mm-hmm. to compromise on those values for anyone or anything. And so, and because we're all in different areas and everything, it's kind of like the glue. It pulls us all together. 
How important then, Anil, just before we get into the nuts and bolts of, of what uh, Sam has put together for Virtual Manager and of which I have printed out and now will be charging you for a new blue ink <laughs> cartridge after, uh, uh, after printing it all out about half an hour ago. Um, how important is it that your staff see the same values emanate from you? Is that is that leadership from the three of you, so important for them to see? Yeah, I think so. I'd like to think that it's it's our brand and that every time we touch something, that that brand should be, you know, behaving in a consistent manner. So, you know, even basic things like, you know, I always pay every bill on time, no matter what. Even if Neil and I didn't get paid, every, you know, I think we talked about it, everyone else got paid, suppliers got paid. Um, so when people miss payments, it really drives me mad to go, well, no, because that reflects badly on me that they think, you know, that why then why not doing that? And the same way in terms of, you know, the way that we interact, as Neil mentioned, with clients and even clients have started to understand that. So, you know, we've had uh, challenges, uh, you know, not, not so much recently, but in the past where, you know, one of our staff members was abused by someone in the client team. So I had no hesitation picking up the phone and ringing you know, the head of that organization saying, this is what's happened. He was horrified. His reaction was way beyond what I thought, but that individual was actually removed from the business based on what happened. So, you know, the clients were, were starting to believe in this as well. And they knew how hard we worked. And we, you know, and I think the other side of it was how focused we were on customer service. And we wanted everybody to have that drive and that view of, you know, the way we valued customers so much. So uh, absolutely, I think it's a reflection. And we still talk about it today around, you know, how important it is to, to be consistent in the manners in which, in which we, you know, we behave. You're listening to the How Did We Get Here podcast, the story of Virtual Manager with Chairman Anil Patel, CIO Neil Fillingham, CEO Tony Morocco and host Charles Dagnall. I've had a read through of the document that was sent through and obviously put together by yourself, Sam. The thing that strikes me immediately is its simplicity. I suppose that it is, you know, short sentences, very focused with the wording. I mean, I'm looking at the brand characteristics document here. It says customer focus. We are world leaders in support. We care about our clients. We care about their experience. Communicate always. Now, you know, you can blast people with science a little bit, can't you? You can over overface them with a, a an A4 page filled with words and it just seems to wash over them a little bit. Was that simplicity the key to this document? Yeah, absolutely. You can uh, you can certainly overcomplicate it and that's, I suppose, what we wanted to do. We wanted to do the opposite. There's enough complications with having teams spread out across the world. So let's make it really simple for, you know, everyone to understand and, and it then creates a, you know, a really, really clear, framework and there's no grey area around you know what behaviours are accepted and, and what aren't you know those brand characteristics are, are pretty powerful when you think about they want to be for, off the top of my head from memory it was um, customer focused and innovative two really important aspects to the way I suppose they want to be perceived by you know whether it's competition or, or clients I think those two are pretty and these are their words not mine so this is what they came up with and, you know they discussed it so I thought they were two pretty powerful characteristics yeah the two different topics, really, how difficult was it to achieve? And when I say the different topics, you've got the client side, the customer side of things, and also the virtual manager staff side. Were they difficult to put together individually? 
Uh, I, I don't think so. I, I think the, the key part about those characteristics is we wanted to be really clear on that was how we wanted to be perceived by people from outside our business. So, you know, if someone asked what's, uh, what's virtual manager all about, they would say, well, they're, they're innovative and they're customer focused. So let's be really clear on, on what we want to project out to the world, out to our competitors and out to our clients. I think that was, that was really externally focused that part, those characteristics. And then the, you know, the values that we'll obviously talk about in a minute was really, you know, from within. Again, going through the document as I am at the moment, our purpose, install, communicate, care, anywhere, and talented, aligned people, anywhere. Now, this is a classic phrase. I think myself and Anil have talked about the power of three, three words which really resonate with with people. And that power of three just being a lot more understandable and clearly defined as as what the values are well the key thing for me in those two is the is the word anywhere so they wanted to be you know really clear on we can do an install or we can service our clients or you know we can care for our clients from anywhere in the world there's no barrier to where we can you know draw our people from so you know we will find the best talent and the best workers and we don't care where that is so they weren't going to be bound by or restricted by borders and, and countries and they wanted to find the best people and, and that was going to be their mandate going forward that, you know, we can operate, you know, at a high level from anywhere and we'll make that work. And that was going to be something I was going to ask later, but since you brought it up, is the remote nature of virtual manager? Now, as you mentioned, going into a sporting dressing room or a, a club and everybody is in the same one spot. And with other businesses elsewhere, they'll have an office block that they're all a part of. Now, this company is successful, but is spread far and wide. How much of a challenge is that for someone like you to, to try and define all of those different aspects? Yeah, it was enormous. That was probably the biggest challenge going in. And and Anil and I had spoken about that numerous times. And I think that's why we made the decision to you know get the key pillars together over in the U.S., understanding that we can't get everyone in a room because there's, you know, installs and all these other, you know, <laughs> business things going on. So it's, you know, it's not plausible to get the full team in a room, but let's get the key pillars in a room and talk about these things, have everyone else on Zoom so they're involved. And we knew that that was a challenge and that was what was creating the challenges in their culture in the first place. So it was a matter of getting together and, and talking about that and, and how best to, you know, to work that. And I think there was a really powerful maybe hour or so where it was just the four, you know, at that stage, the four key guys giving each other feedback and talking about where, where they were at. And there was, you know, obviously... We got through the the funny ones, and you know, and he was sacked from hiring people and all those kind of things. But then, um, <laughs> it um, you know became really sound and solid feedback for them. And those communication pieces that I spoke about before, and how they differ between cultures and things, were, were brought up and discussed, and and some common ground was found there as well. So, yeah, I think that was pretty powerful to be able to get those key guys in the room. Yeah, was it important? And you can say this on this podcast, I, th- I, th- I think it's fair to say, and no one will mind, were there some sort of home truths battered out in that kind, in that meeting with the management? Yeah, there was. It wasn't too brutal and it, and it never is really in that first session. But what, what you're trying to do is, you know, create a safe environment, for, you know, to give and receive feedback. And that was the first step in that. So there was some, some solid feedback, more for, for certain individuals than others, but it was needed and it was the stuff that I'd spoken to Anil about prior to going into, you know, starting this work is 
he predicted a lot of what came up and he knew what was happening in his, in his business, but just didn't have the framework to deal with it. And, and that's, I suppose, what we were trying to put together. That was the whole idea about let's create a, you know, a behavioral framework so that we can make, you know, the really hard decisions, which ended up getting made, but we'll have something to refer back to. You know, this is why we're making these decisions because, you know, you, you either don't align or you don't fit. So Anil, when this was, was hashed out, what was the result of that? I think it, it defined where we were going as individuals and also, you know, were you going to be fit for that journey going forward? You know, because if you didn't align at that stage, it was only going to get, I guess, worse for that individual, but also it wasn't going to work for us in that we knew what we wanted to do. And we had obviously at that point, pretty ambitious plans to grow, which which obviously we then, you know, achieved. So you could foresee the problems at that stage or certain individuals that, they weren't going to get there and you could see little dramas where we never had that before where you know as you, as you said you know in eight years Neil and I haven't really had a disagreement apart from the roundabout episode but um <laughs> but you know so that was new you know we didn't have any of that okay I'm going to blind copy John because I want to see what happens there we didn't have any of that BS it right. was just you had a problem you picked up the phone mate what's going on here why is that not done right bang done and then you had more people and then, you know, I think Sam talked talk to key 12 people. You know, there were others involved that probably weren't on there. There were maybe stuff in the Philippines and stuff. And then I wanted them to be aligned as well. And so it was it was a very hard process to go through, but one that we needed so that now when anyone comes along, you know, as, and as you saw with Patrick and, and Cynthia and Jax, you know, that they really believed in it and they talked about it, which is great, we, you know, because that's obviously what we what we wanted to happen. But they actually really believed and, and lived those values every day. So, yes, whilst it was a painful, uh, I suppose, exercise in some way, it was a great experience. But some of the challenges after in terms of removing individual or individuals leaving was was quite difficult because some of them had grown up with us. But it was, you know, until you see it in black and white, and you have somebody objective saying, well, mate, this is your team and this is going forward and there's two people sitting out here that are never going to align with the way that you want to go. So you have to make a tough decision uh, and it almost forced some of those decisions that I think before we'd let a lot go. Mm. It's interesting to me that, you know, Sam brought it up, but you guys have mentioned it in previous episodes that your hiring rate, your strike rate is pretty ordinary and it was until Tony took over actually hiring people and interviewing people and, and getting the right sort of fit. And so in that respect, Tony, having this document here, I'm not saying it's necessarily a checklist because this is something that you've spotted in the kind of people that you want to bring on board a, a virtual manager, but... Is it almost correlated? Is that is this document basically what you're looking for when you do take people on? A thousand percent. So this is our foundation. This is how we hire. So, so Sam, we haven't talked a little bit, but everybody that we bring in and the growth and the scale, this is how we start. So obviously we're looking for the right skill sets, but this is talked about many different times, not just in the first interview, it's the second interview, the third interview, we make sure that we align on, these are our core values, this is what we believe in, and it's helped. I mean, we've added some other things to the to the mix to help us with this interview process, but it's, if you talk I to everybody. Think that, I, I seriously think that don't be a dickhead should yeah. actually be incorporated <laughs> in big white letters on a big blue background. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. That's my two pennies. Yeah, you're gonna have to talk to Georgia about that our HR director but yeah it, it is Sam you would love it we're talking about this and it was nice I mean to go back to what to Anil said too it is nice to start in the beginnings when we were ready to scale 
before a scaling company or a larger company that has a culture, we were able to craft this early on that probably mitigates many things, issues that we could have had later on. I'm just reading through the section which says our values, which I think is probably the most important in all of, of the document. Of course, each, you know, the purpose of the company and the customer focus, the integrity, the respect, the family nature of it. But just having a look through the values and it's very strange to see, I'm, I'm, as you know, I'm not in business. I'm, I'm, I don't know the business world whatsoever, but it's strange to see these particular values. Sometimes you see business or from the outside as a very cutthroat world and you've got to be hardened to have a success in business where I read family time as a priority. It's in our DNA. Now, you know, that wouldn't have gone into an episode of Wall Street or, you know, the Wolf of Wall Street or whatever it is. But that is a, it's a lovely thing. And it just shows that, Anil, you can have those core values and actual sort of almost heartfelt values within an industry that can be seen as cutthroat. Yeah, it was a discussion Neil and I had very early on around, even though we were going to, we knew it was going to be an incredible effort and lots of hours and and travel that we still said we wanted to make sure that we didn't miss things like birthdays or kids sports performances or anything like that. And that is one thing that my kids can say, my dad was there for every single one, you know, you know, I might, I might have missed a couple of minutes here and there, but you know, I'd kind of tailor my trips to fly back if they had a cross country race or something. So all of that stuff was important to us. And when, you know, in a general company where stuff I have to ask for time off to go to the dentist or I'm going to take my nan to the whatever, like <laughs> I don't think I've ever asked anyone or even expect anyone to tell me because I know that people will do their hours. And, you know, that was part of it as well is that, you know, you manage your own time, but if you've got important things, so you can do it because I know we'll get it back tenfold at some other point. Sorry to interrupt, Anil, but Sam, this is really the, to the heart of it. In a lot of places, even within dressing rooms or within in businesses, I'm sure there isn't a culture of fear, actually, to turn around to the management and say, well, I have got my kids' sports day. I have got, you know, a birthday party I'd like to be at. And they're actually scared to come forward and suggest that to management for fear of X or Y or repercussions in some way. Yeah, absolutely. I think you'll find businesses and, and even sporting clubs now are, are probably evolving a bit and getting better in that space. And, and they understand the relationship between, you know, happy staff, happy athlete, you know, and their performance. So I think we are getting better in general in that space. But to put that down as one of your values, you know, as family, and, and I think the key the key part to come out of that is the line underneath family about we are a family, but, you know, we also have family. So, you know, we have enormous respect. We, we treat each other like family, but we respect each other's families. And um, that's pretty powerful as an employee to walk into a workplace where you know that you have the safety to be able to do the things you need to do. And, and, and to the point where you don't even need to ask, you just go and do it. That's a pretty cool place to work. It's a place I know I'd like to work. Just, I mean, we've not got a great deal of time left. Some of the values that are within the document, we do what we say we'll do. Our team depends on it. We act ethically without compromise. We trust each other implicitly, regardless of the situation or outcome. There's one that really stands out to me, and it's something that as human beings, we are not very good at, and that is we quickly admit and own mistakes. We quickly reward and recognize good works. Admitting one's own mistakes is a human fallibility. 
Tony said he did this or, or I didn't get the email from Neil or Jeff dropped a catch off me or whatever it might have been. Everyone is easy or it is easy to shift the blame off yourself and maybe onto someone else or find an excuse culture. That is a difficult thing to implement, isn't it, Sam? Uh, absolutely, yeah. That one's a pretty powerful one in that the respect for each other and what we're trying to achieve. I think the biggest thing for me there is that these guys, they want to create a safe enough space for their team and their people to be able to do that. And, and that takes time. The first stage in that is, is what we've done. And we've put together you know, a, a framework and a behavioural framework about what's accepted and what isn't. But to create a, a safe enough environment to be vulnerable, and we can sit here and talk about vulnerability all day and how important that is from leadership and from your team and whoever else. But to, to create the safe place is, is what's most critical to be able to do that. And, and these guys have started that. And I, I think, you know, by doing that, they'll find they'll get the rewards from their people. And, and putting your hand up and admitting that you've, you've made a mistake, it's critical that these guys do it. That goes through the rest of the team and, the, and they can see that, that that's high performing. That's how you improve each other. That's how you improve as a, as a team. And, and then from that flows solid or sound feedback and ability to give and receive feedback. And that, that all flows on from that vulnerability. Other values, just to finish off, we hire talented team players who align with our culture, not talented individuals, and personal goals are recognised and adopted as part of the business strategy. Just finally from you, Sam, how important is it to see a management structure that is open to perhaps admitting their own mistakes or admitting that this is something that needs to be developed within their company. Because I can imagine in other businesses that they might just, well, we're all right. You know, they're just people just do as I say or tell them do what I tell them to do. To actually have a management structure that is open to, to welcoming this this kind of ideology is is refreshing, is it not? Yeah, it is. And I, I think when I first spoke to Anil, the best thing, you know, what I took away from that is that he knew it was it was sort of now or never. Um, they were at a stage where they were going to grow significantly and, you know, pretty quickly if everything went to plan. And they had to do this right now before they went on and, you know, Anil stuffed up any more hires or, you know, they, they needed this framework <laughs> to be able to, you know, allow Tony to make those decisions. And, you know, a big part of that to me is that they hire for culture ad, not just culture fit. And we've spoken a lot about fitting the culture and how important that is. And, and clearly they need to fit what you guys or what they believe in. But they also, you know, were pretty strong on hiring for that culture ad. So, you know, what's different about this person that they can actually fit into our culture, but then add to it and, and you know, bring something to it and, and improve it and evolve it over time. And, you know, these guys have been from day one that I, that I met the three of them. They've been open to that feedback, to change and to creating what's now a brilliant culture. So, as I said, it, it already was a really sound culture. It just wasn't, it wasn't defined, you know, and there was no behaviour or framework around that. And, and I suppose that that's the piece that I helped with, but it was already there. These guys already created a great environment for their people. It was just a matter of tidying it up a bit. Neil, what has been the difference then since bringing Sam on board, helping create this, the, the culture or defining the culture. What has been the difference at Virtual Manager? Yeah, I think it's made making some of the harder decisions 
clearer, like the path for, because often you, you've got a hard decision and without it being defined, you, you know in your gut that you've got to make a decision, but you're not really knowing the whys sort of thing and you can't really get an alignment between your head and your and your gut and that having it there having it laid out there's numerous occasions where we've kind of gone that's dead set against this core value therefore we've got to make we've got to make a change so there's no gut involved like you, you still feel it but you've got a framework that you can refer back to and know that you're making a decision that's aligned with how you're wanting to operate things on a more longer term sort of goal. I think if I can butt in really quickly mm. too, Charles, these these guys were all really black and white. So they, they knew when something went against what they believed in, even prior to us talking about any of this culture stuff. So I think what this did is just provided them, again, I talk about framework all the time, but they had something to refer back to. They had, you know, when they were delivering those difficult conversations or making those hard decisions, they actually had a, you know, a framework to say, this is where it doesn't fit in and this is why we can't have it. Just formalising that a little bit because these guys already knew. Tony, that then transfers, and we talked in when we spoke to Cynthia and Patrick in the US episode, you now have sort of handed off a little bit of the hiring side to other people. And I suppose it one thing creates the other, that the culture that has been developed and defined has allowed you to bring in the right people for them to do the same thing and so on and so forth. Yeah, I highly suggest this. This is actually my first company too. I've been in startups for a while where we never had culture, never even thought about it. Since we've done that, people live it underneath me and believe it. And when they want to hire people exactly the same way. So this is the first hire about three months ago that I wasn't involved with. So I went back and did my loom and, and, and talked to the individual about that after post hire. And it was the exact same methodology of how I would have brought the core values in and how important virtual manager was to us. So they are living it and they believe in it. And this is this is helping us move forward. Chairman, just a final note from you. Uh, I mean, you've taken a little bit of a battering on the hiring front. You do have. <laughs> I, I do actually want to defend you here massively, is that you have such great talents elsewhere. But from your point of view, the bringing in of some of the contact that you made, it's projecting forward for Virtual Manager as a company. Now you've got clear and defined values that really can jettison you when, because you are going to be bigger and broader across, across the world. And, and it's important to have all of those aspects. Yeah, it is. And it's Tony and all the guys I mentioned, it's, it's a quick reminder to anybody to look at for any decision or anything that they're unsure about in the way that I believe you should behave from a virtual manager perspective and, you know, the types of interactions you should have, have with people and, just going back at one step, you know, George has taken, I guess, a lot of that data and we're being a lot more scientific so that when we do hire individuals, they all go through the same type of profiling. We pick out key elements and it's all tracked. So she can look back at that over periods of time. So, okay, well, we're all aligned here, what went wrong and what happened here. So we can start to be a bit more definitive on things. Whereas, you know, in the early days, like Neil said, it was gut feel, you know, it's kind of like, well, that guy's not working out. And they were like, yeah, but he was all right there. And, you know, he's a nice bloke. And do we keep him? And whereas now it's, it's, it's a lot clearer when you can say, you know, as I think Neil mentioned with, was, you know, we look and go, okay, well, this is an issue. Okay. Right. Bang. Straight back to the value. They're not aligned with that. So it doesn't really matter what the performance that, you know, we just need to, you know, we need to move them on and, and keep going with this. So it's, it's great that we do, we, still talk about it very very often that it's you know 
will really define our success, I think, going forward. Gentlemen, I've found this absolutely fascinating. Sam, thank you so much for joining us on the How Do We Get Here podcast. And Neil, Tony and Neil, as ever, an absolute pleasure. Hope you've enjoyed listening to episode 30. The How Did We Get Here podcast with Anil Patel, Neil Fillingham and Tony Morocco was hosted by Charles Dagnall. This podcast is property of Virtual Manager, produced and edited by Daggers Media Limited.